0: Good morning, good morning. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Definitely what we do is give you the African perspective. This is African Dialogue where we come to you every Monday to Thursday giving you a context of what's happening on the African continent. Thank you for joining us on our shortwave service on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Remember we're also on DSTV Channel 802 on the audiobook here and also online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we're going to be, well, in our second part, we want to look at uh, uh, no violence against women and children, the 16 days uh, uh, campaign. On an angle whereby we want to look at the violent nature of South Africa as a whole. Now, when you look at the recent crime statistics that were released by police for 2016 to 2017, you see an indication that nearly 50,000 sexual offenses were recorded by the police. And you see that it's not really a drastic uh, uh, decrease from uh, the previous years. Crimes that fall under the category include rape, incest, statutory rape, and sexual grooming of children amongst others. Violence continues to dominate in our private and public spaces, as we've seen in uh, the past uh, uh, with one of our ministers was recently convicted of the beating up a woman in a popular club. But we see also that it's become normalized when we've seen such incidences where we really have a debate whereby we're not really looking at the root causes of why violence has become a norm in our society. Well, to help us on this, we've got Klangelani uh, Shilubani who is the United National Populations Fund, South Africa's assistant representative. Also on our show, we've got Noma Noma Tamsanga Masiko who's an advocacy officer at the Centre for Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Now, Norma, I want to start the conversation with you because I know uh, at the Center for Study of Violence and Reconciliation, you do look at uh, uh, violence in terms of it becoming a normalized and almost kind of an everyday uh, kind of uh, uh, something that we've gotten used to in our everyday lives. Why is that the case? Some people say it's because of the history of South Africa, while others say it's uh, because of the stresses of the social uh, dynamics that we're seeing in our country. But some people say it could be both.
2: Thank you for having us, Benjamin. I mean, those were very, very interesting questions. And I think when we, when we think of violence against women in South Africa, you know, there are no simple um, answers. There are, there's no way we can um, provide one solution or one way of explaining why violence against women persists in the country, but there are many, many reasons why it's so prevalent. Um, and so that—that that is actually, that was the point of departure for the study that we conducted in the organization on why violence against women persists and what needs to be address needs to be what needs to be done to address it. Mm. And this really was motivated by really the impasse with what we call an impasse. impasse that we see in our country. The impasse that we see in in the violence against women. So we see a lot of um, we see a lot of government um, a government progressive laws that are being put in place. We see a constitution that's also very progressive. Um, but, but what, why, does, why is, is, is violence against women the stuff and sickness that we can't get rid of in the country? Um, we see one in w- five women older than 18 having experienced violence. We see three women dying at the hands of their intimate partners. We see femicide rates that are five times mm. higher than the global mm. average. I mean, the, the statistics are absolutely terrifying. And really, the answers lie not only in the structures and the systems, right, that perpetuate, that condone, that also facilitate violence against women, they also lie certainly in the history of our country. And that's really what we were trying to get to the heart of by looking at the circumstances, looking at the systems, and looking at the structures really that facilitate violence against women. Because we would argue that violence against women occurs far beyond just individual perpetrators, far beyond just interpersonal relationships, but also there are systems and structures and structure that are in place that condone that violence, that enable it to, to, to continue.
0: Mm, let me come to you in Klangeni, in terms of giving, Tlangelani rather, in terms of getting your thoughts on uh, this particular issue that we're trying to get a grip on. And it's very interesting that Noma has highlighted the fact that there are almost structures and systems that exacerbate the culture of violence. Uh, as the United National Populations Fund, I know that you work a lot with UN women and women issues are central to some of the functions of the UNPF uh, 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 in, in South Africa. Can you highlight just briefly f- you, from your perspective in terms of this Uh, relationship between uh, violence and uh, uh, the abuses that we see against women specifically where we're seeing uh, problems in this regard and where the root causes are.
1: Okay thank you for that. From my side um, I can indicate that according to the data that was sent by the South African government the demographic health survey that was done in 2016 We've seen the results from that survey indicating that at least 21% of women aged 18 plus in South Africa have experienced violence by a partner. It is quite concerning, and my colleague has already alluded to some of the various statistics that are facing us on this issue. But I think the departure point in response to your question of is the culture of violence increasing GBV in the country. One can say, yes, the issue is complex. It's not because of a single factor, but because of multiple factors which emanate from both structural and individual levels. But to simplify my response to you, I will highlight uh, two key things that Mm. I think are in response to your question. One being that it is the tolerance of violence that we are experiencing in society that further increases uh, gender-based violence. Because Mm. people, as they experience the violence on a day-to-day basis, it becomes seen as normal and then becomes desensitized to it. Mm. And that also follows from the community level to the home level. The second thing that I want to speak to is that due to the work that is taking place, and my colleague has already alluded to the fact that South Africa is fortunate because we have the legal system put in place to address this issue. Mm -hmm. However, the problem still persists. One thing that we are seeing is that as we implement programs that attempt to sensitize women and girls about this issue, we find increased reporting about their experience of these issues, But that is still below the standard because most of the women that find themselves as victims of gender-based violence are not even getting to facilities due to other factors that we are going to get into it. But those are the two core things. The tolerance of violence, which helps increase the problem, and the fact that we are also getting reporting even though there is inadequate reporting due to the fact that people don't see or have the trust in the systems that are set up, to address the
0: issue. Let me come to our other guest who's just joining us on the line, Matoho Makutuane, who is uh, from Seoul City Institute for Social Justice. She's the advocacy manager there. Matoho, thank you for also joining us. So uh, we hear varying views that come from Tlangelani and Noma Tamsanga, who's joining us also on the line, in terms of the fact that we seem to have been desensitized and normalized ourselves uh, to the violence, especially when you look at. The context of South Africa.
1: Uh, good morning. Hi. Um, yeah. I mean, my 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 colleagues there in, in your studio have uh, have, have said a, a lot of things that are actually that that is the reality when it comes to violence against uh, against women and, and children in in, in, in this country. Uh, but until uh, I, I we have a, 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 a political will, we need to have champions in Parliament who will take the, the struggle well. of, of gender-based violence forward. And until we have a political will and a national strategic plan that actually speaks to the programs that we have, so. then we we, we just scratching the surface. Because a, a, a strategic plan will will actually tell us where we're going wrong. We have evidence-based research of what can be the intervention strategies that can be done primarily, secondarily, and, and multi-sectoral, you know, interdepartmental. But if we do not take violence against women and gender-based violence as general as a crisis, then we are just scratching the surface.
0: Well, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll come back to you, Matoho, because I think you highlight very much important things in terms of the response mechanisms that we utilize. I think uh, most of the time, the 16 days of activism against uh, uh, violence and uh, uh, that's perpetrated towards children and women is uh, something that's now seen as uh, a very minimal effort, and uh, we've heard this from various circles of South African society. Uh, but we're going to come back after the break and Continue with you three ladies uh, to really expand on uh, this big problem.
2: Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at iTunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa bringing you the African Perspective.
0: Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on our various platforms. We're on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet in South Africa. And also, if you're listening to us in neighboring countries in South Africa, our main service is into the African continent and sub-Saharan Africa. We're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. That's for those communities who are still listening to us on our shortwave service. And remember, to our Pan-African community worldwide, we're on www.channelafrica.com. .co.za. Well, today we're looking at violence in itself and just how it's been normalized and how that exacerbates the problem when we see these abuses uh, that are perpetrated towards women and children. Tlanganlani uh, Shilubani joins us. Uh, she's part of the United uh, National Populations Fund, uh, that the United Nations Populations Fund, South Africa. She's an assistant representative there. Noma Masiko is an advocacy officer at the Centre. Center for Violence of uh, Center for Study of Violence rather and Reconciliation Matoho Makutuane is an advocacy manager at Seoul City Institute for Social uh, Justice. I want to start this part of the conversation with you, Matoho, before I move on to our other guests. In terms of what you are responding to, in terms of uh, uh, there seems to be a lack in terms of commitment, whereby we seeing systematic responses to the violence that we are experiencing against children and woman uh from your perspective you spoke about parliament in itself but we've got good regulations in in south africa good policies we've got uh good and uh, an NGO environment that's uh, huge when it comes to this particular issue but you did highlight matoho that we are still just scratching the surface it seems like more needs to be done can you elaborate on that
1: uh, yeah more needs to Still needs to be done. We have uh, the the best constitution in, in the world, as, as as they tell us, uh, but that really just does not uh, uh, translate to, to that on the ground for for women. So uh, uh, coordination of all these uh, these uh, services between civil society, government, and, and and other NGOs, private sector, we need to have a concerted effort that actually speaks to the problem. So if we do not coordinate our our services. And, 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 and come up with uh, with uh, with the national strategic plan that I'm talking about. Then then it will appear like nothing is happening, while actually there's a lot that is happening. But there isn't really coordination and political will to see that everything just comes together on a on a on a on a funded, multi and intergovernmental national strategic plan.
0: Well, let me take that to you, Noma, in terms of your thoughts around that, because when you speak of violence, you're not just speaking about something that's very separate from social conditions. Uh, I mean, when you look at uh, some of the work you've done as well at the Center for Study of Violence and Reconciliation as an organization, you've looked at uh, various uh, trends that we're seeing in a in, in country such as South Africa. You look at it from a historical point of view. So a lot of things have to be done to change that culture of violence from that uh, backdrop and also we have uh, uh, the normalization and uh, uh, the uh, kind of norms that we've seen in our society that say okay it's something that's part of our culture. It's something that's part of the uh, way we are in South Africa. So that's another uh, dimension into this. But also we're seeing also the socioeconomic conditions exacerbating uh, our uh, views and also our behaviors when it comes to violence in the country.
1: Mm.
2: I just want to pick up the, the conversation from my colleague when she spoke about the tolerance of violence, and I think that is just crucial um, as, as people who are currently, you know, looking at systems and structures beyond just individual level, right? So I think it's important to to, to look at the fact that, you know, violence against women in this country is, is endemic, and it's just... It's everywhere. You see it at every level. You see it in Parliament, where our public, female so, politicians are body shamed, for example, yeah, yeah. and you see it at your local Shabin yeah. you, you know where a woman will be catcalled, etc. And I think for us, when we think of just the pervasiveness of violence against women, is to to really look at the social costs to perpetrators who who, who perpetuate violence against women, and really the opportunity costs um, to breaking the silence for women. So. And, you know, and in the study that we conducted um, in, in, in August, you know, we we are not convinced that women have um, you know, when, when they do a cost-benefit analysis of a woman who's been violated, for example, you will do a cost-benefit analysis of, of breaking the silence. So you will go to the – so if I go to the police and report, what do I have to gain and what do I have to lose? And we are not convinced that women have a lot to gain when they break the silence because what they find is that they'll go to, you know, institutions such as the police and, and the general criminal justice system, and they'll be re-traumatized and re-victimized um, to the extent that, you know, women will not report. So when we see, you know, um, you know, when the police uh, um, released the the, the violence stat- statistics sure. and they said that there was a decrease in sexual offenses reported, mm, mm. exactly, it's, it, there's, it's, it's, there's a decrease in reporting. That does not mean there's a decrease it's in the occurrences in, of violence so, against so. women, right? So I think for us, we're really, really interested in... Um, the social cost to perpetrators, because often even you know public individuals who perpetrate such crimes, more often than not they don't lose their jobs when they when they when they when they commit such crimes. Instead, they get promotions. So 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 that's that's problematic.
0: What do you mean when you speak about the social cost to the perpetrators, Noma?
2: So so for example, you're a man. You commit a certain crime. There needs to be a cost because you have committed a crime, you, you not only have you violated the person, you've so. actually committed a crime according to the law. So there need to be cost in terms of, you know, being brought to the book in terms, of, so. in terms of legislation. But I feel, but also beyond that, there needs to be a social cost in the sense that if you're a public figure, you certainly need to lose your job. Um, mm. I think that that is non-negotiable. And I think generally within our communities and societies, again, looking at our, our just our social our systems and our our, our cultures mm. you know if a husband has committed such a crime in in, 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 in to her wife to his wife mm. then you know families need to come together there needs to be a cost i know for example in the kosa culture historically you know if a man had, had committed such a crime, there'd be fines mm-hmm. that a man has to pay. You'd have to pay a certain amount of cows to the to, to the girl's family as mm-hmm. a form of, of reparation, as a form of cleansing, mm-hmm. and as a form of apologizing for that act, because that sort of act, no culture, um, at least in its purest form um, and condones that kind of behavior. But, of course, we're seeing in in today's world that, you know, such um, acts are actually covered up by our families. And our families, of course, are places where we're supposed to find safety and refuge and protection. But when we look at, you know, our family structures, our community structures, instead they perpetuate and facilitate and excuse violence against women.
0: Let me come to you, Dlangelane. I think uh, both Norma and Matoho are highlighting uh, very much interesting dynamics in terms of uh, the, the response systems that are still in shortage. Uh, and uh, you heard there from Norma speaking about from a social context and also from uh, a justice and, and policing perspective. What would you bring into this part of the conversation in terms of uh, just the systems in place on how we're responding uh, to the violence that we see?
1: Okay. I think from my side, I will add three key aspects. The first one being our increased investment in prevention programs that are comprehensive. Really, if we are to address the social and cultural aspects that are increasing this violence against women, we need to make sure that... We are targeting individuals, we are targeting families, and we are reaching our communities with these preventive messages because the best way to address violence is to even prevent it before it starts. So really we're saying culture is put as one of the key drivers, though we know that our culture was designed in a way that is supposed to protect and we know that culture is dynamic, so we need to challenge these very rooted cultural systems and societal systems that seem to be perpetuating harmful practices against women. The second thing I can speak to is we need to look at the quality of services. South Africa is one of the countries that has got the best systems established to deal with these issues amongst others, such as the constitution that we have, the legal environment that we have, the Tutuzena centers that have been set up, but what is the quality of services that the women are receiving when they get to the facility level? And that tells us that we are not responding the way that we should. Otherwise, we would be able to be responding in a way that meets the desires or the needs of the women. The last thing I want to speak to is around evidence using evidence, using our research to improve the quality of the services that we are offering. If we have to learn from other countries that are faced with similar challenges that we are facing, such as the structural drivers that we are talking about, Mm -hmm. culture and harmful practices, even closer to us, like your Botswana, your Swaziland, your Lesotho, that share similar characteristics. If we can find out what they are doing in response to this thing, that may be replicated for us, that may be relevant for us, then let us do so, because it does not help to have the system set up, and we are not looking at adjusting it to meet the needs of our people.
0: Staying with you, Lani, I want to know from you in terms of, it seems like uh, there seems to be a transference of the cycle of violence from one generation to another. And we've seen that over a long period in South Africa. Um, what would you th- say is contributing to that?
1: I think um, the main thing is what we have spoken about, mm-hmm. that this culture of violence is rooted within <laughs> the systems that we have in society. But the most important thing that can be done to address this issue is to invest in intergenerational uh, capacity where we are perpetuating those cultural norms that are positive, that are affirming women, that are promoting the role of women in society. We cannot continue to say our culture is the one that is promoting this when we know culture is dynamic and it really can be influenced with data as well as the realities that we are facing to change according to where the country is. This culture that we are experiencing on living under on a day-to-day basis is under, if we are living in South Africa, the rule and constitution of our country. Therefore, we should be able to address this educationally so that we can be able to reach the women that we need to reach. And society as la- at large, this cannot be just a women-targeted program only, but we need to bring in the, main, the male involvement side of it so that we are addressing society as a whole. Don't just focus on the girl child in terms of the intervention, because mm-hmm. he's still going to live in the society together so, with so. the boy child, same class. Let's target them all, including the families, so that we can move at the same pace.
0: Noma, your thoughts there on uh, such important views. Tangalani highlighted such a very much uh, essential idea that, you know, sometimes we've misappropriated culture and actually uh, made it as a validation of uh, these abuses we see.
2: Oh absolutely and I, And I would add, as she said, you know that culture is dynamic it 's not static, right, so over the years, oh, culture will change, and, and so of course that 's point number one. We have to recognize that right, and I think what she said is, is she she hit the nail on the head when she talks about how we really need to find solutions to our problems that are context-specific and time-specific because we're living in a particular time where we have particular challenges as women, right? So I think um, what she says is is absolutely important. I think when we're looking at um, really moving forward and and, um, sort of in in terms of recommendations, if you will, I think for me it's important that, you know, the solutions that we seek um, are at the top level going right down to the bottom level. So we're having sort of interdepartmental and intersectoral uh, sort of interventions that target government institutions, that target, you know, our social institutions, and of course that targets the individual, the man in the mirror, the woman in the mirror, who is ultimately the one who makes the decision to commit to commit such crimes. And I think also, finally, it's important for us as well, when we're thinking of uh, moving forward and dealing with, with such issues, that we really move beyond just ceremonial days such as these, that, you know, all these conversations and i think that's where the role of of the media you know the platform that we're in right now mm. is so important in shaping the perceptions and the dialogue and and the discourse on violence against women it's something that needs to be happening 365 364 days of the year because we know that violence against women occurs right through the year
0: Coming to you, I'm also thinking of a, a reality here in the fact that when you, it comes to the shifting of cultures that we live in a very much more material materialized world where the materialism is a very much of a, a dominating philosophy in the way we're living in contemporary culture. And we've seen with the um, sugar daddy syndrome, as it was once called, where women are taken advantage of and sometimes they find themselves... Where they're more vulnerable uh, due to socio-economic conditions that they're in, and I'd like to fit in this conversation in that because sometimes issues of patriarchy and uh, uh, you know issues of materialism, as I've highlighted, really sometimes take centre stage in why abuse sometimes uh, is uh, inflicted upon women.
1: Yeah. Well, you, you know, when it comes to issues of of, of patriarchy, materialism, and intergenerational sex, it, uh, it, it's actually very disturbing most times when you listen to discussions that actually blame the the, the women for 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 being the victims in this sure. case. When when in fact the, the the men who approach the women should know better and are much older, and I know that they have the power and privilege to 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 you know to to. To, to be the leader in, in a relationship. And that, that also just is, is just one of those things that uh, made, makes women to be powerless in, in relationships. If they do not know what their rights are in relationships and they, are, they don't know, uh, uh, you know, they haven't been, been, been uh, made aware of uh, their rights and issues of gender equality, non-discrimination and all those issues. So it's important that, uh, that women know what they are worth and they know when uh, uh, when a situation is not uh, the one that they should get themselves into. Mm. But, you know, when you talk about that, I also want to bring in the role of the Department of Women. This, I I think most women in this country do not actually know what the role is and whose responsibility it is for women to know what role they play in, and so that women, even when they have situations in their communities, they, they, they come around and mm. they build mm. movements where they can you know support themselves and and uh, and and get people to, to come and address them to talk about issues of women's rights and all that and all that but people if they do not see commitment from from, from government, then it becomes quite, uh, mm-hmm. quite uh, yeah, a self-defeating uh, type of
0: problem. Well, I'm going to take one more break uh, before we wrap it up. I know we have to let go of Tlengalani uh, Shilubani. Thank you for joining us. Uh, she's the assistant representative from the United Nations Populations Fund in South Africa. I know she has to go back to one of her strategic planning meetings. So I'll let you go, Tlengalani. Thank you for giving us your contribution. I'll stay with you, Norma and Matojo as we wrap up the conversation after this
1: this is Channel Africa South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave internet and satellite from an African perspective guess what you can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Chandalunyan and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective.
0: Channel Africa bringing you the African perspective. Thank you for joining us Right here on Channel Africa Definitely giving you The African perspective Uh, We're now joined uh, On the line By Matoho Amakutwane Who's the advocacy manager Of Seoul City Institute For Social Justice Noma Tamsanga uh, Masiko is also on the line Who is an advocacy officer uh, For the Centre for Study Of Violence and Reconciliation Noma I want to come to you With some of the points Matoho highlighted And and I think it's a big concern here In terms of uh, uh, men's behavior Behavior around women, especially in a culture of materialism. Uh, Noma, you sound like a, a young woman in yourself, and I'm sure you find yourself uh, navigating with such issues in terms of these uh, gender balances or imbalances, rather, uh, that we're seeing in our societies.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and really, it's, it's it's all about the the unequal power dynamics. I mean, that's at the, at, the, at the base, right? Um, so, and that was actually one of the findings of our research study as well. You know, the concept of blessed and really the trap of insecurity, and that women are trapped in this in, in, in this in, in this in, in this insecurity because of lack of of, of employment opportunities, lack of educational opportunities, um, and of course, when a man is older and has more financial muscle, and this woman is significantly younger with less financial. Um, Opportunities. I mean, that kind of scenario. You know, the power balance is is, is definitely um, warped, and I think really that's that's one of the things that we really need to to, to address as well, and um, the socio-economic dynamics. But also, when you're looking at places like like you know workplaces, and I think that's that's one of the issues that we're highlighting in our campaign, which is titled hashtag everyday perpetrators, is that you know if as a woman in in your everyday interaction in in life, you know, we're really calling aspects of women's life where she finds herself in danger, and, you know, as I stated earlier, she's in danger in private, she's in danger in public, at school, in the home, in, 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 in the family, in her marriage, in the workplace, in recreational and social spaces. And so for me, as well as a young woman, you know, we, we find ourselves in places of work and sometimes in, in spaces where that are male-dominated and, you know, where you find places, where there are instances where, you know, you're basically objectified as a woman. And, and, and for me, it's important that we highlight that violence goes beyond just the physical violence mm. beyond a slap and a kick. But there are many other forms of violence. There's emotional violence, there's economic violence, you know, there's, there's um, mental violence, and then of course issues of catcalling, sexual harassment, um, unwanted advances, those, those sort of things, mm. um, they, they are also violent.
0: Matocho, coming to you is, um, you know, it's so broad, this conversation that we're having. And my uh, producer was just saying during the break, just speaking to me and saying, so what do I do as a mother of three boys in order to make sure that they socialize in a manner whereby they respect women and they understand that that there's a line that they shouldn't be crossing?
1: Yeah, um, um, there's a, a Nobel laureate and economist, James Heckman. Has made a very strong case uh, for investing in children's lives, and it, uh, the, his interventions have, have shown that uh, you will need to support the cognitive and social, uh, social emotional development of, of children, and so up, up to the three, up to three years of age. So it's very important that wh- whatever interventions that you come up with, it's mm. material, that we realise that we need to start them early. We our I mean I mean, our, our kids are exposed to so much violence at mm. home, mm. in school, and uh, so it, uh, parenting is it, it becomes quite crucial when it comes to things like this. So we need to have programs that are actually specifically targeted for parents because intergenerational violence will not will not will cannot survive if we start them early.
0: Mm. And same with you, Matoho. As a whole, as a society, there the, the seems to be also we need to shift from our uh, understanding of what violence is. And I think in, Norma was highlighting that very much mm. eloquently there, in terms mm. of the fact that it's not just it doesn't start from a physical space. It actually starts uh, uh, from even the the nuances of how I speak to a woman or how I look yes. at a woman or how Absolutely. even my perceptions Absolutely. of women. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when when she spoke, it reminded me of the you know the Save Texas campaign that we ran around March-April. We actually had a, a, a hidden camera video for the for the campaign and and we just wanted to show the level of violence that women go through when they're just walking in the street you know just uh, you know chat mm. calling and if you look at our uh, the soul city facebook page the comments that you get mm. on on that post uh, you, you know you get like 99% of men saying i mean wh- i mean are you crazy this is not harassment and you know you know women enjoy it and, and yeah. all that so you know, there's that culture of men thinking women are there just for them to to, to admire and to, and, and to say whatever they want to, to a woman. So it, these are just social norms that need to be to be to be gotten rid of.
0: Noma, let's wrap it up with you and get your final view in terms of. Women in their own rights, do they have a responsibility as well in this regard? Definitely it's a yes, that answer, that that question. But I'm asking you to affirm yourself in your own womanhood, but not to be taken advantage of. It must be a big challenging. I know that sometimes we just say women must just assert themselves. There's these kind of uh, uh, systems they can utilize to prevent themselves from being in danger. But sometimes that's also a form of victimizing women, saying, it's actually your responsibility here,
2: mm, mm. oh absolutely um so I would say, I mean, and I think when we're looking at women, I mean, and them asserting themselves. Um, and, 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 and possibly reporting and, and naming and shaming. Those are all things that they need to certainly do. But I think another angle that I really want to bring to the table is the internalized patriarchy and internalized sexism that you find even among women, mm-hmm. um, you know, where women will be shaming each other and saying, you know, oh that dress is too short. Oh, look how she's presenting herself. Who does she think she is, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that is important. That an important. I think it's important that firstly that we we, we present a united front as women. That um, you know we, among ourselves first before we can even demand that from men. Um, I think it's important that we recognize a woman's body is her own, and she owns it. It belongs to her and to her mm. alone. and does not belong to her boyfriend. She has the right yeah. to give him permission, access to her, to her body. It does not belong to her husband. She gives him permission to access her body. So a woman's body is her own. And, and I think that's the message we need to drive home both among women and then certainly to men as well.
0: Well, thank you, ladies. You've been fantastic. It's been very, very enlightening speaking to both of you. Uh, Thank you to Noma Tamsanga Masiko who is an advocacy officer at the Center for Study of Violence and Reconciliation. Thank you as well to the advocacy manager at Seoul City Institute for Social Justice, Matoho Makutwane who's joining us on the line. Earlier on, we had Ntlangelani Shilubane who's joining us from the United Nations Populations Fund South Africa. Let's uh, wrap it up with some music this one is from a group titled women of africa the title of the song is usual suspects <laughs> All we are, we owe it to you Can we call you Eve? Musa wa Africa